Good morning, Boker Tov. Welcome back to Parsha Perspectives for today. It's so wonderful to see our great crowd back. Baruch Hashem. It must be getting cold up north. That is a good sign. It's great to have everybody back. Parsha Perspective Sheer, generously sponsored by Becky and Avi Katz and family, a memory of David Grossman, Becky's father. Our learning is Le'ili Nishmas David Ben Menachem Manish. This morning, Sheer is also sponsored anonymously in honor of the Yerzad of Yitzchak Ben Chaim Tzvi and Mindel Bas Yitzchak. We're very grateful and uh, thank our sponsors for their generosity. I want to remind everyone, we've started a WhatsApp group for the Parsha Perspectives. If you'd like to be updated on the schedule for the year, whether we're on or off, where and when, if you want to get the Parsha Perspective write-up delivered right to you, if you'd like to get some bonus material and uh, Divrei Torah, sign up and it's very easy. RabbiEphraimGoldberg.org slash WhatsApp. RabbiEphraimGoldberg.org slash WhatsApp. You can sign up for the WhatsApp group for each of the shiurim and you'll get all the bonus material, shir schedule, everything you'd want to know, and much more. This morning our shir is dedicated also in honor and memory the second Yeritzai yesterday of Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs, Zecher Tzadik Levracha, Harav Yaakov Tzvi Ben David Aryeh, whose loss continues to create such incredible pain for us, not only because of his loss, every loss is the loss of a unique expression of Hashem in this world, and every loss is a feeling of tremendous pain. But for me, particularly, Rabbi Sachs's loss is not only a loss of the present, it's a loss of all that he was going to teach and share and shape our future. The articulate spokesperson of the Jewish people, person entrusted to be able to advocate and communicate, to be able to open and offer insights to the Torah in so many ways, to represent authentic Torah Yiddishkeit on the world stage such a loss at such a, at such a young age, and it's so painful. And we dedicate this year as part of an entire week that is being uh, done of learning in memory of Rabbi Sachs as part of the Rabbi Sachs Legacy Foundation. And so I want to open up, before we dive into the Psukim and the Divrei Torah, I want to open up with an insight, insights, two insights by Rabbi Sachs himself, offered and communicated, transmitted in his memory. And it relates to something we've spoken about last year, two years ago, this is now the second Yeritzai, Rabbi Sachs on this parsha, it's very interesting. He has maybe four, five, six articles that all revolve around the same phenomena that he, that he identifies. There's something in our parsha, something that jumps out at him, and then he repeats it, but comes at it from many, many different angles, which is fascinating. And what is that thing? What he recognizes and what he speaks about in our parsha is how many times Hashem promised Avram two things. He promised him land, and what's the second thing he promised him? Children. Land and children. Seven times land, four times children. If you look how many times Hashem has promised, over and over and over again, and yet, by the time you get to Chayi Sarah, by the time you get to the loss of Sarah, neither of those is yet realized. All of those promises, and yet, the two things he doesn't have, he buys the first plot of land in Canaan, arranges for the marriage of Yitzchak, neither of which is done before the loss of Sarah. So despite all of those promises, he does not yet have them. So that's what he identifies. Hashem makes these promises too. He doesn't make them once. He makes them many, many times. And Hashem's word is his bond. Could you have a better promise? Could you take something to the bank more than when God himself tells you? And yet, despite that Hashem has not yet made good, Hashem has not yet delivered on that promise. 
And Avram is steadfast. And I said he comes at it from many different ways, many different angles. He draws from it many different lessons. We've shared some in the past. I want to share two new, with you, two new ones with you this morning in his memory to share his Torah. He says, Our parsha contains the most serene description of old age and of dying anywhere in the Torah. Perachafei Pasuk Ches. Perachafei Pasuk Ches is on page... Bottom of page 120. Rabbi Sachs describes this as the most serene description of old age and of dying anywhere in the Torah. Avram, he expired. How? At a, he died at a good, ripe old age. Does anyone, have, does anyone not have that hope and that dream? Isn't that what we want? to reach longevity, to reach a, a ripe old age. And he's not only a ripe old age, he's savea, he's satisfied, he's content. Vayasef el he is gathered back to the people. And you see this earlier in our parsha as well, in Perach of Dalad, Pasuk Aleph, V'yavraham zakein ba bayamim. We're going to talk about it today. I have some amazing insights from the Utzar Plos HaTorah. Avram was the first one to go white. He went gray. Why? His daughter. We'll get to that. I identified very much with this. We'll get to that. But we also have this description here of Avram is Zakain Ba Bayamim. He's reached longevity. He's reached the uh, stage of, of life where he feels content and serene and happy and fulfilled and he leaves this world. But the serenity... The gift that Avram had, Rashi is puzzled, doesn't only, it's not only given to Avram. Go back to the very beginning of the parsha. By now you've all learned this Rashi countless times. That the Torah, Chumash the parsha, could have communicated Sarah's age much more efficiently. Simply say, she was 127 years old. Why does it take up extra space by saying, she was 100 years, and 20 years, and 7 years. And now you got to do the math. 100 plus 20 plus 7. Why did the Torah give us homework? Why does the Torah take up space by repeating the word years? And Rashi tells us something astounding. We're also going to get into this much more. Shnei chayei sarah zakt Rashi. Kulan shavin latova. They were all good years. Her life, ah, bliss and joy and happiness. Her life was incredible. Her life was amazing. They were all equal in goodness. They were all equal in being wonderful. Avram is a zakein baba yamim. Avram leaves this world saveya. He had such a good, happy, perfect, pure life. Sarah, they're all equal. Our life was filled with only goodness. What do we have? Selective memory? Revisionist memory? Revisionist history? You don't have to have such a great memory to go back just a couple parshios and to remember what is their lives. Their lives, they leave everything that was familiar. Their land, their home, their family, they travel to an unknown land. They're forced and they confront a famine. So they have to leave that land that they're promised is the promised land. Twice Avram's life is at risk when he's driven into exile and he's worried he's going to be killed by a local ruler and he has to lie about his relationship with none other than Sarah. They long, they wait forever. How old is Sarah when she finally has a child? 90 years old. 90 years old. And that pain in waiting is only compounded by the dream being held over their head because God doesn't say maybe yes, maybe no, I don't know, we'll see what will be. He says, you're going to have as many children as the stars of the sky and the dust on the earth. Where are they? 
40 years old, 50 years old, 60 years old, 70 years old, 80 years old. Where? When a person is waiting to find out, waiting to have a child, every day is painful. Certainly every month, the reminder that you've not yet conceived is unbearably painful. Every year that goes by is torture. Decades, a lifetime goes by. And Sarah's promise that's not fulfilled. And instead she sees the birth of Yishmael through her adversary, Hagar, that aggravates the relationship between the two and she has to send Yishmael away. And then Yitzchak is fondly born and there's the agony that Avram endures in being asked to do the impossible test of Kedas Yitzchak. And the Akedas Yitzchak, Avram succeeds. He triumphs in the test, but at what expense, at what cost? Who dies? Sarah. So tell me again. Avram was zakein, visavea, ripe, old age of happiness and serenity. Kul and shavon latova. Sarah Imenu's life psh, was simple, was pleasant, was easy. Are we reading the same Torah? Are we telling the same stories? Are we following the same narrative? How can the Torah say that Avram was blessed with everything? How can Rashi say all Sarah's years were equal in goodness? That is the question that Rabbi Sachs asks. And the answer, he says, is given by the Parsha itself. Seven times Avram has promised the land. And then he goes through, we're not going to take the time. And yet, by the time Sarah dies, Avram has no land at all. He's promised the land. He doesn't own the land. By the time Sarah leaves this world, despite being promised seven times, Avram doesn't own one piece of land in Israel. Not one parcel of land in Israel. And he's forced to bow down before Ephron to acquire even the single field in a cave that he's promised really belongs to him altogether. And he's got to pay some exorbitant sum, not as high as the price is today in Eretz Israel, but he prays some exorbitant sum, an inflated price. That doesn't sound like the fulfillment of the promise, all the land, Yamav, it's saying north, south, east, and west. And then when the promise of children, Rabbi Sachs, counts, that Avram has promised no less than four times. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll make like the dust of the earth. He took Avram outside. He said, look up at the stars. This is how numerous your descendants will be. No longer will you be called Avram. You'll be Avraham. You're the father of many nations. And yet, he's waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting forever. So, what's going on? How could you say he's Zakain? Hashem Beirachas Avram Bakol. He blessed Avram with everything. He's Saveya. He's content. How can you say that Sarah, Kul and Shavon Latova, all her years were good? How? How could it be? The reality fell far short of what they had felt entitled to expect. That, however, is precisely the meaning of the message, says Rabbi Sachs, of Chayi Sarah. In it, Avram does two things. He buys the first plot in the land of Canaan and he arranges for the marriage of Yitzchak. One field and cave was for Avram enough for the text to say, Hashem blessed Avram with everything. One child, Yitzchak, by then married and with children, was enough for Avram to die in peace. Essentially, says Rabbi Sachs, you know what the message of Chayi Sarah is? The message of Chayi Sarah is... In order to feel that you have everything, and in order to feel content, you don't have to finish the job. You just have to put one foot in front of the other and take a step closer. You just have to be on your way. Lao Tzu, the Chinese sage, said that a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single... St you all know the phrase. You didn't know who said it. But Rabbi Sachs did, because that was Rabbi Sachs. He knew everything. It begins with a single step. Yadah's Judaism Torah adds that lo alacham lachaligmor. It's not on us to finish everything. Hashem says to Avram, I have chosen him so he will direct his children. That's why I chose him. The message is clear. If you ensure your children will continue to live for what you have lived for, you can have faith they will continue your journey until eventually they reach the destination. Avram did not see all the land in Jewish hands, nor did he need to see the Jewish people becoming numerous. 
He had taken the first step. He had begun the task and he knew his descendants would continue it. He was able to die serenely because he had faith in Hashem and faith that others would complete what he had begun. The same was true of Sarah. To place your life in Hashem's hands, to have faith that whatever happens to you happens for a reason, to know that you are part of a larger narrative and to believe that others will continue what you began is to achieve a satisfaction in life that cannot be destroyed by circumstance. Avram and Sarah had that faith and they were able to die with a sense of fulfillment. The reason I find this so powerful is not only is it such a succinct summary of the message of Chaye Sarah, all shoved into two prokim, Chaye Sarah, which is not a short parsha, but it's short in how many breaks it has. It's as if it's one narrative that's flowing, and this is its common theme and, mem- and denominator, says Rabbi Sachs. The common theme is despite seven times promise of the land, four times promise of children, neither of them fulfilled, and Avram only getting to see the beginning of the first step by the time he leaves this world, it's accurate to describe him as having everything and being satisfied. It's true to say for Sarah, they were all equal in their goodness. Why? Because sometimes we get greedy and sometimes we feel entitled and sometimes we want to reach the destination in our lifetime. Sometimes we want to see it all and live it all and reap it all, but we don't and often we can't. And we shouldn't have that expectation and we certainly shouldn't feel entitled. Our job is to take the step that will lead to a thousand miles. Our children will walk the rest of the journey and eventually the Jewish people, our descendants, our progeny will get to the destination. Our job is simply to take that step. And if we do, we can die with contentment. To be happy, writes Rabbi Sachs, does not mean that you have everything you, are, you want or everything you were promised. It means to have done what you were called on to do, to have made a beginning and to have passed on the baton to the next generation. And the reason I think it's so powerful is certainly I imagine Rabbi Sachs didn't know this when he wrote these words, but that was his life. That was his life. Rabbi Sachs was an incredibly modest person, humble person. I had the privilege to know him. I won't pretend I knew him well, although I had the privilege to know him on several occasions. And I felt close to him, whether objectively close or not, at least through his his Torah, but even his personality. I spoke to him about not only the rabbinate, but personal things. And he was a real real source of, of wisdom and of strength. But he didn't have the easiest life. When he ultimately died of cancer, it wasn't his first bout or challenge of cancer. And there were ups and downs in his life. And yet, he left this world serene and tranquil. He left this world modest and humble. He left this world satisfied and grateful. He was a positive and a happy person who was so grateful for all that he had. And even though he left this world at such a young age with so much more to give us, happiness isn't that you have everything you want or everything you were promised. It means to have done what you were called on to do. And what a mission he fulfilled. What a difference he made and what a legacy that he leaves. So he was entitled to leave this world happy and fulfilled and without fanfare. So many others, all these Tehillim calls go out. Remember, when somebody gets sick, great gedol in the end of their life, there are rallies and there are calls and there are massive funerals. But Rabbi Sachs, he didn't share what he was going through. The public didn't know. We didn't daven. He didn't want that attention, neither on him nor on his family. He was focused. For him, all that mattered was passing the baton to the next generation. He was such a father and a husband that mattered so much more than whatever public role he had on, on the radio in the United Kingdom or the books across the world or the celebrity status he had. All he cared about was his family. That was the most important. Like Avram, that he passed it on, transmitted it to the next generation. And that's what leaves a person 
with happiness. Happiness is knowing that we pass the baton forward and that we pass the baton on. And uh, I really think that this insight, this beautiful Dvar Torah that he writes up, if you want to find it online, it's in an essay called The Journey of a Thousand Miles. He, of course, articulates it so much better than I ever could. A Journey of a Thousand Miles. But I think it focuses us. We don't have to get it all done. We don't have to do it all. We don't have to solve the world's problems. We don't have to set up and position our family to have everything that they could have. We have to take a step. We have to pass the baton. We have to transmit our values and our lives and our lifestyles to the next generation. And is there anything more gratifying or satisfying than that? I think we're living in a time where increasingly people don't have that satisfaction. Almost every family, it's not so simple to say that every one of my grandchildren, great-grandchildren is Shomer Torah Umitzvos. It's not a given. It's not a given at all. And it's not easy to achieve. And it requires tremendous siyata deshmaya, divine intervention, support, and help, if one is going to be blessed with it. But if one can have that and pass that baton. You know, Yibadu L'chaim Tovim Aruchim, Mori Varabi, my Rebbe, Rav Shechter, is going to be here, Mir Tashem, at our shul Thanksgiving weekend. So Rav Shechter, uh, several months ago, was asked in a public setting. He was asked, what do you think your biggest accomplishment in life is? What is your legacy? What are you most proud of? Being a Rosh Hashiva, Rosh Kola, Laposeik, Svarim he's written, the thousands of Shirim and the very Torah, online, offline, thousands of Talmidim and Mismachim. I could have suggested countless answers he could have given to that question. And you know what he answered? You got to watch this video. I shared it, I think, in the Parsha Perspective WhatsApp group. Bonus material. A good reason to join. You know what he said? So humbly, so modestly, Kedarko. Rav Shechter said, what's my biggest accomplishment? I have nine children and they're all Shomer Torah Mitzvos. That's it. If I successfully pass the baton on, my parents raised me with Torah. I tried to raise my children with Torah. They're all observant. And if I leave this world successfully that my children are observant, that's my biggest accomplishment. That's the biggest accomplishment? Biggest accomplishment? An enormous Tamachacham? And the Gedolim of our generation, who's impacted thousands around the world. Yeah, that's his biggest, that's, I posted it last week, because that's what Hashem says to Avram. You know why I love you? Because you're passing the baton on to them. Because you're successfully passing the baton. That's what Rabbi Sachs says. You don't have to see the fulfillment of all the promise of the land or of children. You just have to take that step. It's not on us to finish the work. How did he do it? That's another article, which I'll suggest you could read on your own. I won't take the time now. It's another article Rabbi Sachs has called to have a why. A why, W-H-Y. To have a why. How did, Yaakov, how did Avram and Sarah do it? How did they do it? This promise seven times land, four times children, they didn't have it. So how did they do it? How did they do it? Because they had a why. Avram and Sarah were among the supreme examples in all of history of what it is to have a why in life. The entire course of their lives came as a response to a call, a divine voice that told them to leave their home and family, set out for an unknown destination, go to live in a land where they would be strangers, abandon every conventional form of security, and have the faith to believe that by living by the standards of righteousness and justice, they would be taking the first step to establishing a nation, a land of faith, a way of life that would be a blessing to all of mankind. He goes on and on. He quotes the book, Edith Eger's book, The Choice, and talks about how powerful it is that when we have a why, I believe that faith helps us find the why that allows us to bear almost any how. Faith helps us find the why that allows us to bear almost any how. The how is, how am I supposed to do it? People's lives are riddled with challenges and hardship 
and obstacles and difficulty. So how do we navigate? How do we overcome? How do we persevere? How do we endure? You wake up any given day and some people struggle financially and others struggle with their health and others have friction in their relationships. There are no shortage of obstacles and challenges that we confront. So how? How? Says Rav Sachs, you know how? When you have a why, then you can bear almost any how. The serenity in Avram's death was eternal testimony to how they lived, to have a why. They knew their why. They had a mission. They had a purpose. They had a why. And I think the same can be said, again, about Rabbi Lord Sachs, Zechron Levracha. He had a why. He felt a mission in his life. He wasn't even going into the rabbinate. You know that when he studied. He did not study and prepare to become a Rav, a Torah scholar. He was not on that path. But a conversation with the Lubavitch Rebbe changed his life. He told the story many times. And look at the gift that he was to mankind, not only to the Jewish people, because he discovered his why. He discovered his why. You know, Mark, Mark Twain, one of my favorite quotes. Mark Twain once said, the two most important days in a person's life are the day that you're born and the day that you find out why. The day you're born, the day you find out why. The day you're born, most are lucky enough to know when that is. That's easy to find out. But the day you find out why, that's a lot harder. Avram and Sarah had a why. And when you have a why, you can endure almost any how. And that was not only true of Avram and Sarah and how they lived and left this world, but I would say it was also true of Rabbi Sachs, how he lived through the challenges he faced and how he left this world. Because he felt a strong sense of, of his why, he was able to figure out how to overcome his how. So the Shama should continue to have an aliyah. We continue to share his divrei Torah. He continues to impact the world. And we should continue to find the comfort and strength to, um, to get through this terrible, terrible loss. Okay, let's start at the beginning of the parsha, page 106. In the Art Scroll Stone, Chumash Parshas Chaye Sarah. Perach of Gimel Pasik Beis. Vatama Sarah Bekiris Arba hi Chevron, Beeretz Kenan. Sarah passes away in Kiris Arba, which is Chevron and Kenan. Vayavo Avram Lispod Lisarah, Vilivkosa. Avram comes to what? Lispod Lisarah. He comes to give a eulogy for his wife Sarah, Vilivkosa, and to cry for her. Several questions on this pasuk. We've examined most of them before. What is the normal? What is the normal order? Do you first cry and then prepare the eulogy, or do you deliver the eulogy and then you cry? Ordinarily, first you cry, and yet in Avram's case, lispod l'sarah first eulogizes, and then v'livkosa he cries. You'll notice the chaf of the word v'livkosa is ziira. It's a small chaf. Why is it a small chaf? Because he showed restraint. He did not cry with a lot of emotion. Why not? His life partner, with whom the beginning of these promises were fulfilled. He was incomplete without her. In fact, she is so great. Rabbi points out that Avram lives for many years after her demise, but we don't hear from him any longer. His entire impact only happened when? When she was alive. If you look at the Torah text, you'll see that once Sarah leaves the scene, all we see is Avram give to the next generation, Avram's done. Without her, he's incomplete, and he no longer is that source of impact and of influence. And yet, despite her position, despite her greatness, despite her completing him, he has restraint in crying. He isn't bereft. He's not crying. He's not mourning. What's going on? We've seen some of these questions. Baal Turim says, 
You know why he didn't cry, says the Balaturim? Because she was older. She was older. Baruch Hashem Kenai Nahara. Whoever thought. But in my lifetime, I find doing many funerals of people who pass away in their 90s, over 100. When I was young, which was very recent, I don't think I knew one person who was over 90. 100 years old, you read about in books, people. You read in the news, someone somewhere turned 100. They made a Gantz party for them. But today, Baruch Hashem, we've celebrated several hundred birthdays. I always tell when the person gets an aliyah, we wish a mazel tov, someone turned 100, I always say the same thing. I say, mazel tov, I have good news. They say the first hundred years are the hardest. It should be easy from now on in. Baruch Hashem, people, 90s and 100s, says the Balaturim, Sari Imenu was a ripe old age. 127 is pretty good. So you know why he didn't cry? Because he was sad. He was going to miss her. He would feel her absence. But it wasn't a tragic loss. She lived a long and a beautiful and a meaningful life. But one does Rav Yankov Galinsky say for Vihigarita, one does Rav Yankov Galinsky, he says, I don't understand. Because she was old, he didn't cry? This was his other half. She could be a billion years old. They could be married for a trillion years. All the more so. The longer you have someone, the more you become accustomed to only living with them. The harder it is to live without them. The fact that she reached such an old age and they were married for so long should have been more reason to cry, not less. Okay, hold back the jokes about marriage. We'll get to that. So he says, Avram Avinu hishrish b'bnei doro es ha'emunah b'kelchai v'es yesoda yesoda shikr chai ha'odam einam ba'olam ha'netzach v'olam ha'zeinu el ha'prozdo sh'arei afilu m'yich ya'odam v'yaruch yomem ki m'sushelach ha'dayin ha'yesho v'prozdo l'traklan chai olam ha'bo l'achein lo bocha Avram el ha'ma'at you know why he didn't allow himself to cry excessively? Because it was an opportunity, an educational opportunity. Here Avram Avinu is teaching and preaching to the world that we don't only live in the here and now. There's something so much bigger, something so much greater. There is a world to come. There is eternity. There is immortality. And if you believe in eternity and immortality, then you don't grieve and cry excessively because of a loss of this world. You cry. And you mourn and you grieve because we're sad. We no longer have that contact with the other person. But they didn't die. They didn't die. Every funeral I officiate, I tell the family the same thing. People in, y in Yiddishkeit, we do, this is what we believe. People don't die. Bodies die. We don't bury people. We bury their body. The most important thing I can say to someone before the funeral of a loved one, as hard as that day will be, as bad as that sound, there's no worse sound in the world than the first shovel full of earth on the top of the casket. But no, I always say, no, that people don't die, bodies die. We're not burying your mother, or your father, your husband, or your wife. We're burying their body. The soul has an immortality, has netzach, is eternal, is returning to its creator. We believe in a world to come. We believe that we will be reunited. The soul was housed in this body for this finite time. When Hashem deemed it the right time, He extracted the soul from the body, which is why our rabbis call death Yitzias Haneshama. They don't call it death. They call it the extraction of the soul from the body. And the soul doesn't die, the body does. That's why we put the body in the ground. So here Avram Avinu is telling the whole world, don't live for the here and now. Don't indulge in the pleasures of the flesh. Don't think this is all there is. There is a world to come. 
There's immortality of the soul. There is eternity. There's something so much bigger and greater. And then he's going to grieve and mourn excessively like this is it. He'll never see Sarah again. That death is the end of the road. So he showed restraint in order to continue to educate and inspire those around him. In order to continue to elevate and communicate. Where else do you see this in the Torah? The Ramban writes this. On the mitzvah of Losis go to do. Torah says, You are the children of God. Losis go to do. Don't cut your skin. Children of Hashem, we understand. Then the Pasuk continues and says, Unlike the nations of the world who exhibit grief and mourning by cutting themselves, don't cut yourself. Don't cause harm to yourself when grieving. What in the world does the first half of the Pasuk have to do with the second? You children of Hashem, don't cut yourself. Says the Ramban, you know what it has to do? If you were not children of Hashem, if you simply were here, random chance, there is no God, there is no creator, there is no world to come, there is no afterlife, there is no immortality, then yeah, when someone you love dies, cry your heart out. Grieve. Grieve excessively, because that's it. You're done. You'll never see him again. But if you believe, if we really live and believe that we're children of Hashem and that we are going to be reunited together with our Father, then losis go to do, don't grieve excessively. Because if you grieve or mourn or cry excessively, it is a failure and a breakdown of faith. So that's what Avram Avinu says, Ryanka Galinsky. Avram Avinu was trying to educate and communicate. He was trying to teach everyone around him. This was a moment to teach. As sad as he is, he will not cry and grieve excessively. Therefore, we live kosa, a small chafachav ze'ira, because he was confident he would meet her yet again. The safer, one of my favorite, the new Otzer Pelos HaTorah that I've been sharing with you each week, my safer for this year. He quotes several ex explanations. Why did Avram not grieve? Why did he not cry a lot? The Rush, the Rush, Rabbi Usher, the Rush writes, why didn't he cry a lot? Number one, the rush says, she was old. You know why? And I, I think there is something here that's important. Because Avram understood she lived 127 years and she lived a good life. She lived a happy life. No one is saying that you shouldn't be sad when you lose a loved one. But you shouldn't cry and wail the same way when someone dies at 127 as if they died at seven years old. We should know and we should differentiate between a tragedy and death. And death. You know, sometimes, rarely, but someone comes to me and even in those moments, of course, I show compassion and love and warmth and support. But they could lose a loved one at 80, 90, 100 years old and they say, where is Hashem and why me and how could this happen and I'm so sad. And I don't say, but I want to say, did, did you think they were going to live forever? Are, are you not aware of the concept of death? Do you not know that everyone and everything is dying basically from the day that we're born? Pretty depressing idea, but true. When does the process of death begin? At birth. We're, we're, that process already is beginning. So, of course we should be sad. I'm not saying that every funeral should be a celebration of life. Every shiva should be filled with laughter. Of course, there's sadness. But we have to be able to know when there's a tragedy and when someone lived a ripe old age and a happy life, a good life. So says the Russian Balaturim, Avram was trying to exhibit this. 
Avram understood this. Was he sad? Certainly he was sad. Did he go into her closet and see her clothing and sit on the floor of her closet and cry? Certainly he did. But did he make some public display, some dramatic display of grieving, crying, excessively wailing? He did not because he understood the blessing. She had lived a ripe old age and therefore he didn't cry excessively. That's the rush. Number two, the Balaturim gives another reason. Why? Do you know why Sarah died first? Because she told him, I'm angry at you. Why haven't you given me a child? And, and therefore, to a certain extent, she brought the death upon herself. And Someone who commits suicide, we don't give a eulogy. She, so to say, brought this upon herself. And there, there's a very harsh interpretation. And that's why he didn't cry excessively. Okay. Third opinion is Rabbeinu Ephraim. Rabbeinu Ephraim writes, also, don't try that at home. But Avram Avinu had another wife. And therefore, he found comfort and consolation and strength and support. Many men cry excessively when their wives die because they'll miss her and they'll miss her cooking. Avram still had the cooking. So he missed her and therefore he only cried partially, not excessively. Okay. So how did Avram Avinu Ay, what happened? The Gemara in Sanhedrin tells us One finds comfort from the loss of anything other than the love from their youth. If you fell in love at a young age, the love of your youth You know, the, the love of your youth. If you fell in love at a young age, you never ever forget that person. Avelis is 12 months because after 12 months, the heart forgets. Hashem programmed us. We never, of course, fully forget anyone, but it heals. But somebody you've lived a life with, their whole life with from a young age, you never forget. So how could Avram be comforted? He never forgot her. And so on. He says, he, he was restrained. He was sad and he cried. It was just in a restrained way because he had perspective. He had perspective. And perspective is something which is important. Pasuk says, When it's time to bury Sarah, Pasuk Gimel says, Why does it describe that Avram got up from? What does Pnei mean? The face of the deceased, the one he lost. So Rabbeinu Ephraim writes, When someone loses a loved one, they collapse on them, on their face. They embrace them, they cry, and they kiss them. We see this also with Yosef. Yosef Yosef collapses on the face of his father Yaakov. He cries and he gives him a kiss. Are you allowed to kiss a corpse? Are you allowed to kiss a loved one who's passed? What is the Jewish practice of Hevra Kadisha? Someone dies. Is that it? Hashkava, we put them on the ground, which was the way that we confirmed death in antiquity. Cover them with a sheet, open the window, light a candle. There are many menhagim when someone's left this world, when they expire. 
But are you allowed to still have contact? Can you hold their hand? Can you ch- kiss their cheek? So this wonderful Otsu Plus Atoro digs up fascinating things from everywhere, digs up here that this is the source of the discussion. Can you, should you, should you give a kiss goodbye to the loved one even after their soul has been taken from the body? To the body that no longer houses the soul, do you give a kiss? Here it says, Vayakam Avram Eal, Meso. With Yosef, Vayipo Yosef Al, Penei Ovi, Vayifkala Vayishaklo. So maybe this is a source for the idea that maybe it is appropriate to bid farewell, to give a kiss to a loved one, to say goodbye. The Megid Yosef, the Megid Yosef, Yosef Saratskin, was also coming this year. And we'll give a shears, coming to visit his son, my neighbor. Megid Yosef has an interesting take. He says, The Kliyakar wonders, Why is the Hespid before the Bechi? Normally you cry and then you, you cry, you hear the news, you're present, you tear Kriya, and then, and then you write the Hespid. Here, Avram Avinu gives the eulogy and only then he cries. Why are we out of order? So he quotes the Orachayim HaKadosh. Orachayim says, he eulogized Sarah, the fact that she left this world, and he cried that he missed her. What are tears? Tears are the expression of the connection that you felt. When you feel connected to someone, to something, you cry when there's, when there's, when you're torn apart. The Gemara said, Hespeid de yakr de shachveh. Hesped is amaylas hanifter. Trumaso leolam l'sha'avr v'chesrona ba'asid. You cry what they gave us, they granted us in the past, and what will be missing or lacking in the future. V'ilo ha'bachiyo ha'chesrona sh'labocha. So that the hesped, the hesped, rather the eulogy, is recounting who they were, what they were in the past, and what you won't have, what you'll be deprived of in the future. Crying is because of what I'm missing. So the eulogy is about the person, the tears are the expression of my pain. Normally a person, normally a person, who is their first priority? Themselves. Whose needs come first? Ordinary people, whose needs come first? Their own. So normally a person cries and then gives a hesped. First they express their own pain and then they talk about the legacy of the other person. But rather, but Avram, Baram, Avram Avinu, Allah Vashalom Barov, Mesirusulaklal, Avram Avinu, who had no sense of ego, no sense of self, no identity, independent of what he could do and what he would mean for the for others. So for Avram Avinu, he didn't need to satisfy his need first. He didn't first cry to express his pain and then only eulogize to talk about the legacy. First he felt the difference of the legacy that that Sarah's gone. Nasan Kodam Lachobito Lahesped, Aklaya Hesped. Okay, good. Vayakam Avram, we already said that Avram got up. Vayakam. He got up, me'al p'nei meso. He rose up, he got up from the loss of his loved one. Vayakam. Me'al p'nei meso. The Medrash says, Vayakam, melamed shayaro malach amaves matris negdo. What happened? He saw the Malach HaMavis. The Malach HaMavis. What was Sarah's cause of death? What did it say on her death certificate? Sarah Menu died because she was 
scared to death. A messenger had come to tell the story of Akedas Yitzchak. We learned from here how to tell a story. I say this every year. When you call your mother to say that something was wrong with your child, you say, Mom, for, she's fine, he's fine, everything's okay, they're good. But listen to this crazy thing, and we ended up in the ER, and then this thing happened, and it was dying, and, but they're fine. You don't start out with the car, and the thing, and the virus, and the... You may not get to the punchline. Because the messenger came and said, Avram took your son, your only son, the son that you love, to the top of a mountain, he raised the axe, Shem told him to kill him, and, and before you get to the punchline, Yitzchak's okay, he's fine. She had already died of a heart attack. She died because she was scared to death. And there was the Malach HaMavis, Matris Negdo. There was the Malach HaMavis. There was the Malach HaMavis taunting Avram Avinu. Says Rav David Pavarsky, Rosh Panovich, you see, you see the, you see how pernicious the Yetzirah is. That it even, it doesn't give us quiet for a moment. It doesn't give us peace of mind for a moment. Until the Akedah, the Satan is trying to convince Avram, don't go, don't do it, don't listen, don't acquiesce, don't, don't conform, don't do it, don't do what Hashem is asking. There's a beautiful medrash that talks about how the Yetzirah, the Malach, took many forms. The river that Avram couldn't cross, the valley, the Yetzirah took all these different forms trying to stop Avram, but he persevered and he defeated them all. And now, you'd think that Avram could have peace of mind, tranquility. He passed the Akeda. He for sure had PTSD, the trauma. He lost his wife, Sarah. He had completed, he fulfilled, he passed all 10 tests. And what could he hope for, dream for? What did he deserve now? A little peace and quiet, a little serenity. What did he get instead? Yetzirah was still working. Yetzirah was still taunting him. Yetzirah was trying to get him to what? Regret that he had done the right thing. This is the pshat what we say in Marav every night. Vehaser satan milfanenu o me'acharenu. Remove the satan from before me and from behind me. Satan before me, I understand what it is. It's the bag of Cape Cod potato chips in the cabinet at 12 o'clock tonight I'm going to want to eat. So during Marav I say, Hashem, I'm going to come home, I'm going to get hungry. For some reason, we keep buying the very foods that are my kryptonite. So remove the satan milfanenu. Help me have the strength not to give in to that satan. What's the satan me'acharenu? What is the satan behind me? What's the satan behind me? Sometimes in life we do the right thing, but it doesn't turn out right. We did the right thing, but it doesn't turn out well for us. Will we regret doing the right thing? That's the satan still doing his work. That's the Sahara perniciously trying to still penetrate into your heart to get you to regret doing the right thing. So just when Avram thought that he deserved and was entitled to some peace and quiet, he passed 10 tests. He passed the Kedis Yitzchak. He lost the love of his life. Genukshain, let me retire already. Palm trees, pina coladas, partial perspectives. Let me retire. And instead, the Yitzhahara is still working, trying to get him to think about his life and regret the good things and the right things he did that didn't turn out so well. Didn't turn out so well. So what does it say? Maybe now Hashem says, I know you're a When you don't regret having done the right thing, even when it didn't turn out so well, even when it didn't turn out so well on your behalf. Good. So where does Avram Avinu buy? What property, what piece of land? He buys? Mara Samach Perech of Gimel Pasuk Yud Tes.
We don't call it that, but it really is three names, three words. Me'aras, stay, ha'machpelah. That'll be important in one moment. Apenei mamrehi chevron, pe'eretz kenan. So he endures this negotiation. How do you count the tests? According to some, the 10 tests were complete last week. The end of Pashas Vayera, the Akedah, that was the 10th test. Rabbeinu Yonah says the 10th test comes at the beginning of Chayisara. What is that 10th test? Maybe... Maybe the fact that he didn't regret doing the right thing, even though it cost him Sarah's life. Maybe that's the 10th test. Oh, they say Rabbeinu Yonah means the fact that he negotiates in good faith with Ephron, a low-life used car salesman, a conniving, dishonest, manipulative, and nevertheless Avram maintains his cool. He's grieving his wife. Right now is when he needs to be negotiating in this way, and he yet maintains his cool and his calm, and he maintains his Kiddush Hashem, his Derech Eretz. Maybe that's the 10th test. Whatever the 10th test is, he successfully negotiates. He buys the plot of land. What plot of land? Me'aras, stay ha'machpelah. And he buries her there. He buries her there. Good. Who's buried there? Who's buried in Maras ha'machpelah? Avram and Sarah. Adam and Yitzchak and Rivka, Yaakov and Leah. Where's Rachel? Kever Rachel. Not the Kever Rachel. We visit where she's probably not buried, but I just visited there. We still go to visit there. But Kever Rachel, good. Rachel's not buried there. That's the sum total. That's who's buried there, right? And that of Esav. That of Esav was cut off and rolled in. That of Esav, maybe. That of Esav. Good, that's a medrash. How do you know it's four couples? What's it called? Where is Maras Stehamach Pela? In Kiryat? Arba. One of the reasons it's called Arba is four couples are buried there. Good. Says the Otzer Plos He quotes a Medrash, Yalkud Ruveni. The Yalkud Ruveni on Pasha Vizosa Bracha. He brings a Pela in the name of the Sefer Hatmuna. Who is the Sefer Hatmuna? Rabbi Nechunya ben Akana, Rabbi Shmuel Kangadol. Maybe it goes all the way back to the Tanaim. That you know who else might be buried there? Moshe and Sipora. Hamalachim nitlu as Moshe Rabbeinu me'amakam kvuraso ve'viyu also l'maras ha'machpeira ve'kavru etzala avos. A malach came down and disinterred and reinterred Moshe and Sipora from where they were buried and put them where? Maras ha'machpeira. I but you'll ask, State it says, Nobody knows where Moshe Rabbeinu is buried. The answer is, no human being knows. But Malachim Yodu, the angels knew. And the angels disinterred Moshe and took him in Sipora and buried her, buried them, added them to the mix and Mara Samach as well. The Chida, Rebchaim Yosef David Azulai, in his Sefer Chomasanach, he writes, that the words of the Yalkut Ruveni are hinted to in the acronym for the name of the place. It's not called Maras HaMachpelah. What's it called? Me'aras Stei HaMachpelah. The acronym Me'aras Mem Stei Shin HaMachpelah Hey is Rashi Tevos for Moshe. The Moshe Rabbeinu Nikvar Maras HaMachpelah Eitzel Avos. Me'aras Stei HaMachpelah Moshe because Moshe and Zipporah also we're buried with the Avos, 
It's not four couples, but it is five. And he quotes a gematria. In the Sefer, Mizimra Sa'aretz, there's a remez to the Yaakov Ruveni, that Sipor is buried there too. Why? Sofeyatevas maras steya machpela. Maras, the tough, stay the hay. Hamachpela, the hay. Is in Gematria, Zuhit Sipora, 410. And the middle letters of Marasteya Machpela, which are Ayin Reish Dalad Mem Chav Pei Lamed, in Gematria are Dayidei Hamalachi Elyon Baula, 444. So through these Gematrias, the Yaakad Ruveni, this Medrash, which dates back very far, says that not only these four couples, Maras Hamachpela, Maras Steya Machpela, but Moshe and Sipora are there as well. Are there as well. That's why he says, there's a minute to go to Maras HaMachpela when? Zion Adar. What is Zion Adar? Moshe Rabbeinu's birth and death. Ah, it's called Kiryat Arba. Four couples. Five, they're, you know, five's a crowd, the fifth couple. So it's Kiryat Arba because there are four couples, says the Chida who were buried there upon their death. But the fifth couple came because they were moved. They were moved, buried outside of Eretz Yisrael, and moved to Eretz Yisrael. So it's okay. So it's okay. He goes on. He has a whole essay here on the subject. There's a lot more to say, but I want to, I want to tell you more other beautiful ideas. V'avram zakein. Avram zakein. Ba'bayamim. V'ashem b'irach is Avram ba'kol. Pasuk Aleph. Avram zakein ba'bayamim. Avram has reached longevity, old age, and Avram, Hashem blessed Avram ba? Kol. He blessed Avram with everything. What is everything? What does it mean to be blessed with everything? What does it mean to be blessed with everything? So Rabbi Nachman writes, says, oh, Le'isik nusa shal Avram, l'achar shenolod l'yitzchak, Ha-ben shalochika kol yamav. Pona Hashem la'avram umetziv b'fun of nisayon nosaf. He turns to Avram with another nisayon. It's the end of last week's parsha, And he says, I have one more test for you. And how does the test of the Akedah begin? Achar hadvarim ha'ela. And what does achar hadvarim ha'ela mean? Ziknus, ripe old age. It was after all these things. And you know what the test was, says Rabbi Nachman? When a person is already in a stage of achar hadvarim ha'ela. When a person is at a stage of life of Achra Hadvar Ma'ela, where they feel their greatest strength and their greatest influence and their greatest impact and their greatest glory years are behind them. It's Achra Hadvar Ma'ela of life. That's a test. Will you lose Amuna? Will you lose faith? Will you give up on Hashem? Will you give up on yourself? Or will you raise the flan Va'elokim Nisa as Avraham to raise that, to raise that? And Avraham says, Hineni. Even Achra Hadvar Ma'ela, his answer is Hineni. So a person has to feel that even an achar hadvar ma'ela. And then Rabbi Nachman says, that's the end of last week's parsha. Then he says, on this week's parsha, sorry, many dies, kol neshom tova. Rashi says, 100, it was like 20, 20, was like 7. Yesh levar is devar lefim ha'sha'am Rabbi Nachman, sichos haran. Shlo tov liyo zakein. Afilu l'chasad zakein, u'tzadik zakein. El tzorch l'schadish b'chol yom. Do you know how you overcome achar hadvar ma'ela? How you overcome the feeling of being you know, it's, it's um, a feeling of being irrelevant. You know how you overcome it? By never feeling you're old. Says Rabbi Nachman, age is just a number. 
One of my daughters, when she was a little girl, I tried to put her to bed. She said, why do I have to go to bed? I said, because you're such and such years old. She'd say, Abba, age is just a number. <laughs> I don't know where she got it from, or where she read it or heard it, or if she thought of it. She'd say, age is just a number. Why do I have to go to bed? Age is just a number. So she didn't know it. She was a breast liver. Rab Nachman says in Sichas Aran, age is just a number. You got to renew every day and feel new every day and feel reinvigorated every day and that you're never achar advaram ma'ila. That you're never, that you're never a zakein. Zakein zain shal gil ela shal hargasha. Age, zakein, ziknus, old age is not a number, it's a feeling. Misha margesh is atmo ke zakein, be'eza gil shayiyeh. There are some 30-year-olds who are old men and old women. When they become fixed and stuck and finished and they're done, you could be old even while you're young and you could be 100 years old. And when you feel my best is yet to come, I'm just getting started. I've got new things to learn and to introduce and to do in this world. Then you're young even while you're old. You could be old while you're young. You could be young while you're old because age is just a number. It's the mindset that matters. So do you have the mindset of an old person? Or do you have the, I'm not talking about is your body cooperating. Don't tell this Dvar Torah to your body. Your body may not cooperate, but your body is not who you are. Your body is only one part of you. Your body is the instrument through which you interact with the world, but your body is not you. So don't listen to your body. When your body says you're old, don't listen to your body. Your body doesn't define you. Your body's not you. Your body's just a vehicle for you. Don't listen. Age is, not a, age is not a number. Age is an attitude. You could be old while you're young, but you could still be young even while you're old. So that's the pshat. When she was 100, she was like 20. 20, she was like 7. She was never old. Sorry, Imenu never got old. I, she was 127. She might have needed her cataracts done by then. Maybe her knees, hips replaced. She might have been uh, struggling going to doctor's appointments. I don't know. But she never got old. How could you say she never got old? 127? Because when she was 100, like 20, like 20, like 7. Always live like you're young. This is the pshat, what we say. Hashem, don't cast me away. Why, why, is my, uh, why was my 10-year-old son davening and saying those words next to me on Yontif? Don't cast me away while I'm old. He's 10. You're 20, you're 30. Why are you talking about cast away when you're old? The answer is, Hashem, help me not feel old even while I'm young. Help me never, ever feel old. Never feel irrelevant. Never feel outdated. Never feel inconsequential. Never feel like I'm done. Never feel like I'm done. Help me always feel young, no matter how old I am, that my best is yet to come. And the Otzer Plos Torah has a great entry on this. He says, he says, the Medrash Tanchum Apashas Miketz, A person has to daven for when they will become old. That their eyes will see, that they can eat and digest. Their legs will work, knees and hips. Because the way of the world is, the older you get, it all starts to break down and fail. So the Medrash Tanchuma says, from an early age, a person should always be including in their tefillos. You know, they try to sell you when you're young. You should buy insurance for elderly care. Right? 
Just yesterday I visited with people, they have an aide. Oh, I'm so happy that while I was young, I was already paying that premium, the insurance, to get an aide. What do they call it? Elderly? They're much nicer than me, they don't call it elderly. They call it long-term. Long-term insurance. So insurance is one thing you should get for long-term, but you know what the best insurance long-term is? Davin. Davin for long-term. Davin, that the eyes work, the digestive system works, the feet work. He says, you know where we fulfill this? Listen, it's geschmack. I love he digs up this stuff. When you say in the words, in the Amida, a little bonus sitter snippet for you. And we'll get up to it in like 10 years. We started the Amida, but we'll get up to it in about 10 years. You say the words, Al Zikne Amcha Yisrael. Pause when you say Al Zikne Amcha Yisrael and you say Hashem, when I get old, let me see and walk and digest. Let me get old. You daven for the people who are old in, in your life. One should, even when they're young, daven that all will work when they're old. When and how do we do that? Every day. In Allah Tzadikim, Aziknei Amchabes Yisrael, pause, have in mind the Zakanim in your life. I tell my children, my grandchildren, how blessed they are to have grandparents, great-grandparents, who Baruch Hashem are young, young and spry and active and not here today to hear this. But I say, daven for them. You can't take it for granted. You all know. One day to the next, what could break down, what could fail, what could not work, who could disappear? What could be diagnosed? One day to the next, don't take for granted. That should be, the older you get, that's the more kavana words and most Kavana words in the Amida. And we say this in Slichos. If or when we become weak, don't give up. The Gemara Bab Metziadav Pezayin says, listen to this. Until Avram Avinu, people didn't age. No Botox. No Botox till Avram Avinu. Nobody aged until Avram Avinu. Why, did, why was age, aging, introduced with Avram Avinu? We'll get to next week's parsha, because what happened? Avram looked exactly like Yitzchak. That was by design. So the cynics, to respond, to answer the cynics who accused, who accused uh, Sarah of Yitzchak being the son of someone else. So they looked exactly alike. So they were constantly confusing the two, and it was miserable for both. They were confusing the two. So what did HaKadosh Baruch Hu do? He made a miracle. This is getting old, pun intended. This is getting annoying. I keep getting mixed up and confused with Yitzchak. So he davened, Hashem, you know, let me grow a birthmark or something. Let, me, let people notice that we're different. Hashem listened, but he didn't give him a birthmark. What did he do? He introduced what to the world? Aging. Avram looked older. And then people knew the difference between the two. Ask the Marsha. But you saw aging even before Avram. Where? You see Zikna with the Anshe Stom. It says, who was killed in Stom? Minahar, Minahar, Vaad, Zakain. So you see that Zikna, aging, was introduced even before Avram Davin Fort. The Avinu Zakain. Avram himself, it says, Vadoni Zakain. Avram and Sarah Zakainim. So what was introduced? What novel came along due to Avram's tefillah? So the Masha there in Gemara Bamatia says, it's true that aging existed. It's true that aging existed. But aging did not exist with your hair turning white. The feature of aging being represented by going gray or going white 
that came when Avram davened that I looked different. And the Balayatosos, the Moshe of Zikanim, says the following. Balayatosos, the Moshe of Zikanim, says the following. Don't kill me for this. I said a lot of politically incorrect things today, but none of them are from me. I'm just quoting Svarim, so save your emails. So the Balayatos will say the following. It says, when is Avram introduced as a Zakein? Avraham Zakein, Baba Yamim, Hashem Avram, Bakol. Hashem blessed Avram with everything. What's everything? Children. But what kind of a children? From here, Avram had a, a bas, a daughter. Bakol. Bas. So the Peleyoit says, not the Peleyoit, sorry. What is he quoting? The Otsaplos HaTorah. Rambam, in the letter to his son, in the Geras Libno, the Rambam writes, Bito, Kasav Dover Nifla Bigras Libno, Shebito Melabenes Sa'arosav. You know what makes you go gray? Your daughters. Machmas Hadaiga Lashadechosa Beshidach Hagun, Lefikvodo Haroilo. The fear of marrying them off, I hate that expression, it is not grammatically proper, but the fear of ensuring one's children get married and paying for it is what makes people prematurely go gray and go white. That's what Rambam says. He says, be careful. Make sure your daughters don't make you go gray, make you go white. Anyway, so that's Hashem Be'erach Avram Bakol. Bakol is Bas. Why was Avram a Zakein? What made him now go white? Because Bakol, now he had a daughter. And she had the Amazon password. And she had a credit card. And she knew where the mall was. So he went prematurely gray and prematurely white. And that's why Avram Zakain and Bakol, they go together for that, for that reason. Oh, they go together for that reason. There was another Otsar Plus Torah I wanted to share with you. Yeah. How old was Rivka when Yitzchak married her? So one measure says she was three. The same daughter, my beautiful, beloved Tamar. But when we put her to bed, we'd say, age is just a number. So I'll never forget, she was a little, little girl. She came home from school. One day we got a call from the teacher. Tamar wasn't paying attention in class today. She was doodling. She was distracted. I'm concerned. So it's okay. I'm, wait till the end of the story. I'm not ratting out my daughter. So I remember we sat in the backyard with her. Chavad and I, we said, Tamar, what's the story? We got a call from your teacher. What's going on? So she said, she started to cry. She's a very emotional, heart a young lady. She was a little girl. She started to cry. She said, she said, Ava, my teacher said stuff that doesn't make sense. My teacher says something that makes no sense. I stopped listening. I said, what did your teacher say? She said, the teacher said that Rivka was three years old when she married Yitzchak. But no three-year-old girls marry a man. What does it mean that she was three years old and she helped at the well with the camels and she got married? Three years old, don't get married. So my teacher said something that made no sense. Why should I listen to a teacher who's saying stuff that makes no sense? That was a tough moment as a parent because I was trying to keep a straight face and I was trying to try to communicate, you have to pay attention and not let her know how much nachas I got from the Yiddish cup. It meant that she was really listening and she was really thinking. Everyone else is scribbling down, oh, Rivka was three years old when she got married. My daughter said, three years, does that make sense? Does that make sense? By the way, she's been asking questions and she's gonna be a lawyer ever since then. Nothing I say makes sense, nothing her mother says makes sense. So, no, I'm just joking. She listens wonderfully. She's fantastic. But it's a wonderful attribute to listen with a critical ear, to think, does that make any sense? So I'll just end with this. There's one medrash, she was three years old, but there's other medrashim that she was much older. Why we have to choose that one medrash is beyond me. Even that one medrash is not meant to be taught literally. It's not meant to be taught literally. Pasuk says, 
Nara is after 12 years old. She was at least 12 years old. And age was different then. If Sarah lived to 127, then when you were 12 was different. Even if you were three, you were different. There's a lot to say. There's a lot of svarim. There's a lot of debate exactly how old she was. And there are many, many opinions that she was a reasonable age to get married. But there's one measure that says she was three, and even that doesn't mean literally she was three. Her innocence is purity, whatever other descriptions we mean to be that she's three. That's what we latched onto. That's the Dvar Torah. Our kids have to say at the Shabbos table. That's what we have to teach a generation of children who are learning to think critically. We have to give them ammo to walk away and say, that makes no sense. Well, if that made no sense. I'm not going to listen to my teacher. I'm not going to listen to anything else in the book. We should be much more judicious and selective which midrashim we teach. They're not meant to be taken literally, and when we give at an age they're not ready to understand, then all we're doing is encouraging them to walk away. Because if that doesn't make sense, why should I listen to anything else? It doesn't make sense as well. I hope I'm making some sense. Make sure to sign up. RabbiEfrenGoldberg.org slash WhatsApp. RabbiEfrenGoldberg.org slash WhatsApp so that you know when we're on or off. You get bonus material. Have a fantastic day. Stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy.